Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. We still have no football to talk about, of course, but that doesn't mean we don't have anything to talk about. Uh, Dave Freezer here alongside Paddy Davitt and Chris Lakey. We're also coming to you on Future Radio 107.8 FM. And fellas, how are we doing in lockdown? Paddy, how are things your way? Not too bad, Dave. Not too bad in, in the climate we're in. You kind of, I'm almost forgetting the time prior to being in my house 24-7 because it's been about five <laughs> weeks. Yeah. I worked out the other day, yes. It's March the 14th, I think, was the weekend that it got um, put into hibernation, if we can use that phrase. And uh, where are we now? April the 22nd as we sit here and record. So, yeah, it's the new normal. Um and the weather is very nice as well, so you'd love to be out and about. But uh, obviously, we're all following the guidelines by the, the, the designated exercise. So, um, yeah, not really too much to report. This could be a very boring podcast. There's not a lot happened since <laughs> last week, really, in truth. But uh, either in my life or in football generally. But uh, I'm sure we'll provide some entertainment there. Well, we have got uh, just had a bit of breaking news, which we'll come on to shortly, haven't we? Which is the the National League confirming that all their games will not be completed this season, which is National League uh, as well as North and South. So that is Kings Lynn and it affects six Norwich City loanees as well. So we will come on to that um, quite swiftly. Uh, Chris, how how are you uh, how are you finding things? Yeah, all right, missing it. You know, just sort of missing somebody hitting somebody else in the face. For money, a, a boxing ring. This um, <laughs> is a sound of a football being kicked. Yeah, I think we all do. Um, but I guess there are bigger things in the world. It's uh, not been the greatest weeks for a lot of us at work for various reasons. But um, yeah, we're all missing it, I think. But yeah. fair enough. Sunshine, as Paddy said, sunshine. And where I sit here, I can watch the world go by. Not much <laughs> going by at the moment, but... Yeah, it is a bit chilly though, isn't it? But um, yeah, well, I'm I'm back with you boys on sport now. A month on news, so that was um, a bit of a bit of a whirlwind as the lockdown came in. Um, switching back across to uh, to the news desk, but um, all seemed to go reasonably well. So uh, back in sort of the usual re- routine, which is uh, which is nice. Did uh, did either of you go out and see the Starlink satellites going out, which you can see tonight as well? Oh, I did. You have to. Oh, there you go, Lakers. You tell us. No, I I got distracted. Either there was only one, or there was a police helicopter. Because I got distracted by that last night. <laughs> um, well, there definitely wasn't one. You couldn't. You miss know what it is. You know what it is about people looking into the sky. You know, um, the old story. But yeah, I, I didn't see anything else. But where I live, it's difficult sometimes to see all of the sky. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's a, a specific I'm time. Seeing large skies. But There's a specific there? time. Uh, last night, it was just before nine o'clock, uh, 8.59, and they literally, like clockwork, they all come over. And these are all satellites which have been launched. It's going to be new internet technology. Yeah. There's 60 of them, and they're still in a low orbit, so you can see them in the night sky. And it was only just sort of getting properly dark at that point as well, but you could see them totally clearly, just okay. one after another, perfectly spaced out, all in sort of a dead straight line. 8.59, was it? Yeah, it was really. Well, yeah, but it's, diff- it. it's, diff- it's different um, every night. Um, but there's a really good story on the Evening News website. If um, if any of you are interested in in looking to the skies and seeing this, I I, I, I quite enjoy a bit of uh, stargazing and stuff. Yeah, so, me too. Um, it was um, it was quite a sight to see. I quickly texted my dad and he went outside to watch it as well, just to see them going over and over. So that was that was quite a nice. Little I always moment. look out when they say you can see the space station going around. I've yeah. uh, seen that a few times. Waved a bit. No response, rude. But, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. There you go. but yeah, I'll, I'll, is it is it the old dude out tonight then? Yeah, they're up there for the next five or six nights. So what yeah, time um, is it again? every night at the same time? I, I think it's half nine tonight. But um, oh, yeah, really? as, well, as I said, well. all, all the timings are on that evening news article, which um, oh, Stacey Briggs did. So it's, it's fully explained there as well. Anyway, Chris, we'll stay with you. National yeah. League, yeah. Uh, they will not be completing their season, uh, which no. means that Kings Lynn now have a pretty anxious wait, don't they? Yeah, um, I think over the next fortnight, I think they've drawn a, a March, a May 7th deadline, but effectively the uh, National League, National League North and South clubs, not all of them, um, voted to bring the season to an end. Um, fairly sensible, I guess, um, given that they couldn't really do much else in the climate. Um you can't play games in National League behind closed doors. It doesn't work that way. 
you know, you're not talking about 30,000 crowds. And they're not um, set up to broadcast these games fully, like, like the Premier League Well, there's be. all sorts of issues. So that, that's where we're at. There will be no more games this season. Now Kings Lynn have to wait to see whether, and, and the clubs will again be asked to vote on this, whether games uh, this season will be null and void, like all the leagues below them were, whether all results are expunged. And frankly, from a personal point of view, whether this season is a complete waste of time um, or whether they will still decide promotion and relegation issues. That will go to points per game. Kings Lynn, second in the table, two points behind York, but with two games in hand. That suits them down to the ground. Um, so many other issues come into play, though, because this lockdown is not going to leave everybody in the same place they were before. Clubs could go under. Nobody mm. wants to see it, but clubs go, could go under. One and went yesterday, now, didn't it? The fact that Berry went under has a knock-on effect down the leagues to the National League because you've got to work out how many people you can promote, how many teams you do. If you do, if you don't, it's an awful difficult question because you can say, yeah, let's have points per game and settle it. But yeah. then you don't know how many teams are in your league. You don't know what league you're going into. So really, really hard basket, this one. And how people will vote, I don't know. Um, there is the point also, a lot of clubs say, don't give them monkeys. It means nothing to us. You know, if you're involved at the top of the bottom of the table, mm. you, you will. It's important. But if you're not, nah. So, yeah, I think two two weeks maximum, but very anxious times for Kingsley. Um, Absolutely. It's not the worst thing being in National League North. This is the highest they've ever been. It's fantastic. They've been awesome this season, really. And to be, you know, sat as we are second place is beyond anybody's uh, hopes and expectations. Uh, but it could be National League football which is just ridiculous for Kings Lynn. Ridiculous. So you can yeah. see what's a big decision. And from the Norwich City point of view, of course, you've got Ian Culverhouse as manager. You've got Ryan Jarvis yeah. in the team and the two loanees, Simon Power. Well, you did and, have Simon Power. That's obviously finished now. Uh, yeah, and, and Alfie, Alfie Payne, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Alfie. And, and frankly, Simon Power was um, uh, really, really impressed Lynn fans. They loved him. He, he was, uh, his debut, fantastic. Um, so, you know... <laughs> It was all finished. I know they had a little bit of a drop in form, but it was looking pretty good. And, you know, big crowds, doubled the crowds, you know, this season. So, mm. you know, this is why it's so important to them. Yeah, um, his sorry, his pace sorry. is a real asset. I was just going to come in there. So is, is that principle been established, Lake, is that if there is promotion and relegation, it will be points per game? Has that been established? No. No. I haven't seen the in that league, if you're York, you're not going to vote for that, are you? Because they're two points clear. They're going to want to say, take it as it is now. Mm. Although Lynn will, Lynn will come back and say, we had two games in out. But yeah. you can see the complexity of that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, don't know about your thoughts, but who do you think should, on the basis of the season's results, be top of that table? Well, right. yeah. It's where we are when the league was stopped, isn't it? You can see yeah. the legalities of that could get very yeah. messy. Yeah. I just want to establish if the league have said no. this is this is what's going because they'll obviously have to reach that position, won't they? Yeah, there'll I don't be people think lobbying, lob, there'll be the Lins of this world and Barrows in the other league lobbying for PPG. Mm. But I guarantee there'll be other clubs either, as you say, disinterested or lobbying against that. So it's very difficult to see how they actually reach a mutually agreed way forward from it. I'll have a sticky beak to see if I can find uh, while we're chatting um, if there's an actual vote what the vote is for but and, this and is, also a lot of also, the clubs started off saying look we don't know what we're voting for yeah but also is that because uh, obviously the national league structure at that end is the national league and south and north so is that clubs collectively in all three leagues or is it a, a vote per league if you, if you get that no, there were all there was um all the teams in the national league four from north and four votes from south how that worked i don't know but Stephen Cleave voted at Kings Lynn, the Kings Lynn owner. Yeah, but from this point onwards now, obviously now there's no more football, but it's how they resolve the outstanding issues. Are they going to be inter-league votes or is it going to just be the National League as a whole? That's no, National League as a whole, uh, uh, that's what it's been. I, I assume that's what it's going to remain as. Yeah, well, they've made By this the way, decision early was, as well, haven't the, they? Yeah. Uh, because... the, the, there were 68 clubs represented. Not all of them managed to get their vote in. Yeah, but enough to make it a majority. Enough to make to, for them to say, look, you know, it don't really matter now. 
Sorry, yeah. I've just accidentally turned something on. So, Because <laughs> this is what's happened in Scotland, isn't it? There's been a Barney up in Scotland, uh, um, which Doncaster has <laughs> come, in for, um, come in for a bit of flack, hasn't he, in terms of their, their voting. Um, the, the Scottish Championship League 1, League 2 has already been cancelled, hasn't it? And the Premiership looks like it might follow, which would affect Akin for Maywoo, Norwich Defenders on loan at St Mirren. Um, but in Scotland, they're now looking at restructuring on the back of this, aren't they? And maybe uh, opening up the top tier to to become 16 teams and then a second tier to be 16 to make it a bit more fair. So uh, they're almost trying to use it as an opportunity. But my point is that every league is going to be different. We've already mentioned Belgium, haven't we, where Rocky Bashiri on loan with Sintra Odense. And that is cancelled because they've got a runaway um, champion. Their regular season games are nearly up. Uh, I think there's only one left. And then they normally go into a sort of playoff system for the last Europa League place. So each league is going to be so different. Um, just before we bring it back to Norwich and to you, Paddy, um, there are other loanies um, affected by this. Uh, Timmy Odessina was at Hartlepool. Caleb Richards at Yeovil. They're both in the National League. So that's cancelled. Uh, Power and pain we've already spoken about. Um, Aston Oxborough, Billy Johnson, both goalkeepers then. It, it, they were in National League South. Uh, Johnson at Braintree and Oxburgh with Weldston, who are top of that league as well. So he's going to have a very interesting wait to find out whether he's getting a, a league winner's medal at, at that level. Um, in terms of the Premier League, though, Pad, since we last recorded, there hasn't, hasn't really been much in terms of movement, has there? But um, sort of an in, encouraging noises from, from the Brighton owner, Tony Bloom, over the weekend? Yeah, I'll come on to that, DF, but I just wanted to come back. Um, you mentioned the Belgian League and it, where we are now in Holland as well, the Dutch Football Association, which is relevant to the Premier League because obviously the Eredivisie is one of the bigger leagues. Belgium, with the greatest respect, isn't regarded as such across Europe. But basically now where they are, the Dutch government have said there will be nothing happening sporting-wise before September in that country and also ruled out behind closed doors. That is obviously significant because it would mean essentially the top tier in Holland could not continue and that would be it. So it's a case now, if that's Belgium and Holland, then how far is it before we get to Bundesliga? I know the Bundesliga clubs are saying they're going to come back, Italy are saying they're going to come back, but maybe UEFA have to step in here and say in the interest of the sporting integrity of it all, we need a blanket that either the leagues go ahead or they don't. But now it's quite clear that there is moves around other European leagues. And as I say, the Eredivisie, albeit not one of the front line, you won't put it in the same bracket as Premier League, La Liga, Serie A, Bundesliga, but some big clubs in there, of course. And um, if that is the case in Holland, then these things aren't happening in isolation. So, mm. you know, with the Premier League, yes, there is still clearly a commitment. And it's bringing it back round to Tony Bloom, the Brighton owners' comments. They are, and we had the shareholders meeting last Friday. There's another one on May the 1st. And again, they still continue to work on models by all accounts at that last meeting, which Norwich were obviously represented at, along with the other 19 clubs, remotely video conference. They were given models of if we started on this date, what the season would look like, how you would have to complete it if we started on another date. So the Premier League clearly want to get this resolved and on the football pitch, but... You know, we're still in a situation where we feel like every podcast we've done in this period, we repeat it, that really that is all secondary. We did a Q&A, me and you, Dave, on Monday, and a lot of the same vibe from the fans who took part in that, which is you can make all the plans you want, but until the government and the public health bodies in this country say it's safe to release the lockdown in certain areas and allow sporting organisations to, to make plans, then it's all hypothetical. But... Basically, the Brighton owner, Tony Bloom, said that pertinent to Norwich and Brighton that you cannot relegate clubs if you don't complete the rest of the season. He says that wouldn't be a goer. They'd have to be, uh, I think it's 70% of the Premier League clubs would have to vote for that proposal. He said that for him would be a non-starter. Um, you can imagine the whole legal complexities of, <laughs> if you said to the three at the bottom now, particularly Villa, of course, given the huge financial outlay, and they had a game in hand. We're talking about Kings Lynn earlier with games in hand. I think Villa are in the bottom three, but have a game in hand. And if they won that, or even maybe if they drew that, they'd come out of it. So can you imagine if we get to a position where the league is basically what it is and the positions where they are stand and then Norwich have to get relegated? So 
Tony Bloom, Brighton owner. Brighton not that far out of relegation. It feels that's a non-starter. Um, but, you know, until, as I say, we get the other side of this curve and then the transmission rates and sadly the death rates um, reach a point where the government feel they can start to relax the lockdown, then, you know, we continue to say that they can make all the plans they want, but uh, nothing is definitively happening. And that's where we are again. That's where we were on Friday. I'd imagine two weeks down the line, the next Premier League shareholders meeting will still be pre the deadline the government had set, I think they said March, May the 7th, didn't they, for another review of do we start releasing the lockdown across the whole country. So the next Premier League meeting, I think, again, will be, this is what possibly we'd like to do. But again, with that huge caveat, until the government say it's safe to do so. Um, so for me, with, at, at the earliest, you're looking maybe July. I think that's probably the earliest it could be any sort of football. I know there's been a lot of talk about again in Germany and, and, and Italy getting the leagues back before then but it's very hard to see in this country in the circumstances we're in at the minute um, how you could possibly look to restart in any shape or form football before June Imagine Can, I just, can I just yeah. put a lid on the National League bit sorry yeah. because this is breaking the National League Chief Executive Officer Michael Tattersall the options concerning the sporting outcomes of the 2019-20 season remain under careful and timely consideration and further updates will be given in due course. So, yeah, they don't know what they're going to put to people to vote. So, And also, <laughs> of the three divisions, I think it was Barrow, York and Wealdstone, top of National League, National League North and National League South, respectively. None had secured promotion. So that doesn't help. <laughs> had the mathematics been on their side, it might have been a bit easier. But anyway, that's that. You don't envy the people making these decisions, do you? No, I mean, not at all at any level, no. To follow on from what Paddy's saying there, really, I guess if you're um, the senior guys that say the Premier League, you, it reaches a point where they're going to have to be guided by the lawyers, aren't they? Because they're going to have to perhaps show that they tried to do as much as physically possible to get football back and started again. And if it reaches a point where everyone comes to the consensus, this is impossible, we cannot complete the season then they have to have been shown to have exhausted all their options. That's the only way they're going to avoid uh, legal action by clubs, aren't they? But I guess if you get to that point, then they would probably just have to avoid the season and, and everyone starts again afresh next year, which, well, it's just it's just going to be so, um, so complex. Um, just to add to as well, um, you mentioned Holland, Paddy. Um, Norwich have two players on loan in the second tier there, don't they? Savas Morgos, uh, Greek midfielder, he's at Dordrecht. And Charlie Gilmore, who is... Um, the Scottish youth midfielder who they brought in from Arsenal last summer, he's on loan at Telstar. So you would have thought their seasons are probably over already as well, aren't they? Um, and there's going to be lots of that sort of stuff. Uh, Norwich have got, you know, 20-odd loanees. Louis Lomas is out in America with Tampa and Melvin City in the French second tier. That's going to be one that we'll have to sort of keep an eye on, uh, an eye on from afar. But to throw it forward a little bit, um, in terms of that uncertainty is there, we don't know what how things will be concluded. But Chris Wilder said some interesting things, didn't he, in terms of he doesn't see next season as being a massive problem because uh, of the fewer international games, um, playing more midweek games, almost making it like a bit of a championship season. He thinks that squeezing next season into a, into a tighter space of time is quite possible. But the interesting thing as well is that Sky have already said, haven't they, that they wouldn't necessarily look to reclaim the money that they are owed, which is about 370 million, um, at, but more that the clubs would owe that to them. So I think we're probably looking at a scenario where, where next season Sky will have like free reign. They will be able to say, we want games on, you know, on a Saturday, we want them at nine in the morning, 11 in the morning. They literally want blanket coverage. And you can almost see them thinking, maybe we can fight off Netflix and Amazon and whatever here by using this to our advantage. But as long as they don't force that money from the clubs at the moment, then, Pad, I think you could probably afford them that little bit of creativity, couldn't you? Yeah, that's an interesting point, that the aspect of they're not going to demand, if we believe some of the reports that have been put out there, the, that figure you mentioned in terms of the rebate, if this season, current season can't be complete. Because to me, that... In all, all, and you touched on it, all the complexities and all the strands that are involved in this, the, the key stakeholder for me is the broadcasters because they are obviously in for 
multiple, multiple amounts of millions. And if they can be basically, uh, you know, convinced or, or are happy to buy into a, a template like the one you've mapped out there, like the one Chris Wilder touched on, where you okay, you say, right, that's this season. Sadly, you can't complete it. We'll, we'll do whatever they want to do to resolve this season in terms of the sporting element. But in terms of next season, we can look to adapt and, and the broadcasters will be happy because ultimately, you know, it does come down to the financials in it, whether you're Liverpool at the top of the table or whether you're Norwich at the bottom, you know, these clubs have huge financial outlays relative to the scale of the club. And, you know, Burnley a few Saturdays ago actually took to their website an official statement, if this season doesn't resume, we have a 50 million hole to fill, which was basically the loss of match day revenue, if you want to call it that, in terms of season tickets and, and uh, commercial deals from the existing games that they wouldn't get, and on top of the broadcast and the merit payments. So, you know, Burnley there, middle to lower ranking club, 50 million, you know, there'll be other clubs who would have a bigger financial hole, maybe Norwich slightly lower than that, in terms of the overall potential loss. So, that, to me, is probably a massive card in all of this. If the broadcasters are happy to come to a point where they're not going to demand that money back, then the clubs, by definition, will not have to uh, maybe carry such a huge financial burden. And as a result, I think we can get past the how you sporting-wise resolve the unplayed nine or ten games. Obviously, on top of that would be the FA Cup, which is pertinent to Norwich. They'd have to come up with some solution to that. Um, Champions League as well, at, at another level in Europe, UEFA, Europa League. But I think if, if, the, if the broadcasters were on board with it, then I think there is probably a way through this. It only A lot of this about can they restart by this date, can they restart by that date, they have to restart by June the 30th. All of that is basically predicated on they need to play the games to fulfil the fixtures so they don't owe the broadcasters that money. So for me, that is really probably the deal-maker in all of this, wants to reiterate the health situation and the government and the public health bodies allow these type of plans to become actual, um, you know, adopted measures. So, yeah, I think that's huge. I think that's huge. If that is to be believed and the broadcasters were happy to reach a compromise whereby maybe they they don't offer or ask for rebates, but then they expect accommodation next season, then I think that could be the way forward. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, and, and as a knock-on effect to all that, Chris, we were looking at this yesterday, weren't we? There's a, there's a piece on pinking.com Quotes from Damien Camoli, who was the director of football at Tottenham and Liverpool. Um, he worked with Stuart Weber at Liverpool, where Weber was head of academy recruitment for a while. And he was talking about how he thinks the transfer market is going to be vastly, vastly different. Firstly, we don't know when that's going to be at the moment because all that mm. side of things with player contracts expiring in June, etc. Um, that's you would have thought that the transfer window will follow when this season concludes in in some way, but it, it is going to be very different. But Chris, he was actually highlighting the point that player value is mm. is going to take a potentially a massive <coughs> hit, and and from a Norwich point of view, that could be a, a really big story, couldn't it? Yeah, I mean, if, if if you're a club like Norwich, where you're self-sufficient, you've got, and we know the business, they, they, they nurture young players and they bring them through and they try to increase their value while taking advantage of their football ability for however long. We know who the players are. We've got Max Ahrens, Jamal Lewis, Ben Godfrey, Emi Buendia. We know they were bought for a certain amount of money and your forward planning says, you know, we'll have a half-decent season. These boys will be worth X amount in future. And if we need to sell, we can sell them for this amount. And, you know, the, the planning ahead in football goes a long way ahead. Suddenly, let's say for the argument's sake that Max Ahrens is valued by Norwich at 30 million. I have no idea what they value that. Um, that may now be 20 million. Um, your plans then, as a self-sufficient business, um, change. I know that when you go and buy a player, you're probably not going to pay 20 million yourself. But the player that you were going to buy for 2 million is probably now 1 million. So you get your, you know, your replacement for Max Aaron's is cheaper. But there's a lot of difference between losing 10 million on Max Aaron's and saving a million on his replacement. So, you know, the, the, there's an imbalance going to be created for a club like Norwich. That's, I, I mean, I'm no businessman and that probably just exemplifies why. But for Norwich, you, you have a business method which relies on developing young players and selling them for a good profit. Um, 
and say it's been sort of that that's been ripped up that but yeah it's a little bit of a worry again i suppose what it does do it probably gives you a bit of a stronger hand in saying oh well we can't sell them we'll keep them next for the next season mm-hmm. um so you'd have a very strong squad but there might be players i mean we've seen them in the past young players who've come to the end of their contracts or, or come to a position where other clubs are interested you say look you know i want to go i remember robert green going when people said he deserves to be able to go to a bigger club. Yeah, like um, with Madison. Yeah, exactly like that. So, you know, it's, it's a difficult one. Um, I think you've got clever people in charge of most football clubs. You certainly owe it Norwich, it seems. So I, I would imagine they're catering for this. But nonetheless, I think that the, the Kamali's comments that an agent has said only three clubs will be in a position to, to, to buy players is quite worrying. It's also further down the ladder, quite worrying for clubs who do tend to do well um, from their transfers in the same method. Um, you know, for a while, the, 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 the Stevenage, Peterborough United Championship or uh, beyond uh, Little Ladder did very well. So Stevenage and Peterborough United, and, uh, <laughs> they, they did well out of it. That's probably out of their hands now. And that's survival for a lot of clubs. You sell one player for a few million, it keeps you going for a while. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's a worry. I thought that was some very good, sensible stuff from uh, Kamoli, uh, who does yeah. strike me as a very good and sensible person. Do you want some, right. more, do you want some more breaking news, lads? Go on then. Far away. Westlife cancel their contract at Carrow Road. Concert at Carrow Road. Concert, yeah. Oh, the, that's uh, me done. I'm out. Yeah. I'm sorry. The Killers is cancelled as well, isn't it? But um, yeah, Norwich right. haven't actually confirmed that yet, but the drummer of the Killers has already confirmed it in an interview. Right. So, um, that, they... that, but that was interesting. That was June the nineteenth. So you know, we, we we have had this discussion about when could football resume and what dates. You know, there's there's an event that was supposed to be taking place at Car Road, middle of June, cancelled. Absolutely. So That's. Uh, yeah. I think that'd be one that they really ought to play behind closed doors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They can stream it from the Norfolk Lounge in the Barclay instead. Yeah, not in the Mile House, they can't. <laughs> um, yeah, we had tickets for the Killers, and I'm sure plenty of other people did as well. So we're disappointed, but we, we, we've just been it's waiting for that to be confirmed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just to finish up on the on the financial stuff, um, the other clubs ha- not having the money to spend would seem to be the big thing. I mean, we did go over finances a bit last week when we were talking about furloughing at, at length, so we won't go into that too much, but... Um, at the AGM, the forecast for, for profit this season had been brought down a little bit to 16 million. That's what they expected the finances to look like this year. But they're now expecting to make a loss of about 15 million. So I guess they're looking at a round break even. But that's before you take into consideration relegation, which, of course, has a massive impact on income. So the you would have thought that at least one, at least one, probably maybe you could even say at least two players would have needed to have been sold on the back of relegation. Um, various relegation clauses and things like that. So that they're, they're, they're Norwich are in a pretty steady situation, but you know that takes us back to w- why they weren't able to spend so much money. But we've dedicated a lot of um, time to that. Just as a, a little way of illustrating it as well, a lot of people probably familiar with the transfermarket.co.uk website. They have their various algorithms of uh, working out value. And they have so far knocked Norwich's total squad value down from 140 million to just under 120 million and are saying that across the board in football values have dropped by about 20 percent. So they currently have Todd Cantwell and Max Ahrens ranked as the most valuable players at 18 million apiece. They've only got Buendia down at 13 million, which... um, would seem to be a bit of an, anom- an anomaly to me. sell him for that, though. <laughs> no, but who who knows at the moment? We might be they might be desperate for thirteen million come the summer, not the summer, come the off season, should we say? Um, who knows? Um, it's a state of flux. So let's come on to the pink and poser. We had some really nice responses to last week's uh, poser, which was weird and wonderful moments at Norwich City games. Um, it doesn't just have to be about the football. The, the funnier, the better. That's the, that kind of thing. We talked about Spud becoming the fourth official, uh, Johnny Housen being the pigeon whisperer, as, as Paddy <laughs> christened him, the, the Carrow Road Goose seeing, seeing Atomic Kitten live at Cardiff, Delia's rallying cry at halftime, all those sort of um, strange moments that stick in your head. Um, we'll set a new one shortly. So you guys just um, maybe get your thinking caps on in terms of that. 
which is going to be your favourite Norwich manager and why. We'll have a quick chat about that in terms of media, who was the best to deal with. So I'll come to you both after I've just been through these um, responses we had to last week's posers, uh, poser on the weird and wonderful. Um, Terry Westgate says, once during a goal celebration, a man from the upper Barclay lost his false teeth into the lower Barclay. He came <laughs> down with a steward to find and collect them, which was uh, quite, quite, <laughs> quite a sight. <laughs> Pete Raven uh, said, pizza being delivered to fans in the home end at Exeter. Yeah, a lovely bunch that. of... A lovely bunch of flowers in a vase in the gents at Yeovil and arriving late at Hartlepool to be told that Michael Nelson had scored a bicycle kick and refusing to believe it. Um, well, Pete's absolutely right there because Yeovil, spot on. A vase of flowers in the loo. Exeter, everybody's as mad as a box of frogs in that <laughs> And yeah, and the guy did. A guy rolls up, walking along, shouting somebody's surname. And you may, Paddy, I think you'll remember him, Steve Perriman who was the director yeah. of football at Exeter, Exeter yeah, yeah. he sits there, he starts the songs off. He, he was two seats up from me, and he starts all the singing. <laughs> and the Hartlepool one, I, I remember that, because sadly uh, there was an accident on the A1, and uh, we just about middle managed to swerve it, but Pete and uh, his friends didn't. And yeah, he did not believe Michael Nelson had done what he did. <laughs> yeah. Delays on the A1, we know about them, don't we, Pat? Away... Away days feel like ages ago. The last game, what, March the 7th, Sheffield United. Remember that Remember that bacon butty we had at the farm shop on the way to the game? Oh. I'll, ne- I'll never complain again about sitting in a cooped-up fort. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. An away day would be just the... Uh, yeah. Just what the doctor ordered at the moment, but uh, we're going to have to be patient. Uh, a few more. Chris Parker. I think mine may be Spud's appearance as the fourth official versus Preston or the floodlight incident versus Derby last season. I still remember Ooh. the referee assisting the winner from Phil Mulrine at Reading when we won the league in 2004 as well. Yeah. That was a weird incident. Um, what was the Neil Barry, was Neil it? Barry it was, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Easter Monday, I think. I can um, see it now. Steve Cobble was not a happy bunny. No. Um, <laughs> the rules have changed as well now, haven't they? Or the laws, I should yeah, say, have changed. That can't, that can't happen yeah. now. Um, Andrew effort. Kent, not sure if I am remembering right, but don't didn't the friendly with Heronveen in 2000 get cancelled because of an almighty downpour? We sat in the south stand near a group of Heronveen fans who were over for the game. I don't remember that one. But no, I don't. No, but I, I vaguely remember a friendly being rained off. I remember that wasn't there. There was a testimonial against Celtic. Was it Tim Shepherd's testimonial or Adam Drury? And there was a, it had to get uh, paused for a little while because of an almighty downpour. Well, I, I, it may have been uh, when Flem's testimonial against Newcastle. There was ah. the, uh, the, uh, really, really, really strong rain that night. I think they finished it a few minutes early. Right. But the, the result didn't matter anyway. So. Now, this one, I, don't, I wonder whether any of our listeners or either of you to have ever heard this before. But Nick on Twitter pointed me in the direction of a thread on the Pinker message board, which is always a dangerous place to start. <laughs> uh, uh, he is at Nick underscore NCFC on Twitter. And he said uh, he pointed me to this thread where it starts. I don't know whether you are on here, Mr. Cheeseboard, but oh, well, sitting in the river end in block TL, there's this one man that suddenly gets up and weighs round this cheese board shouting funnily enough cheese board at any random time to which a few of us join in this was posted in 2004 i should say uh, i don't know whether this still happens game by game a few more people join in and i'm predicting by the year 2010 the number one chant will be this anyone actually know this man or know what i'm talking about now there are 14 what? pages discussing this cheese board man <laughs> <laughs> so um and there's all sorts of cheese based puns so if you want to if you want to get into that more then head to the pink message board and just use the search facility for cheese board. And wow. that's qu- quite, you know, we asked for weird and wonderful. That is weird and wonderful. Someone randomly shouting cheese board in the river end. That's um, brilliant. A new one on me. Uh, here, a couple of slightly lengthy ones. Uh, I'll just whiz through. Matt Gregory. In 1996, at the end of our on loan to the Ensley League season, me and my parents were invited into the director's box by the local VW garage as the MD of the company was a friend of my dad's. I was sat there as a very chatty 11-year-old telling all the grown-ups there what I would do if I was manager. Then all of a sudden, Mike Walker walks into the box as a surprise guest to watch the game as he was also a customer of Robinson's VW. He was introduced to me and with everyone laughing, 
and then saying, tell Mike what you told us. I was starstruck and went all quiet. Mike didn't say much during the game. When we scored, didn't even celebrate. It was a 2-0 win against Huddersfield. And when Robert Fletch scored the second, he ran over and pointed up to us. Whether he knew Mike was with us, I don't know. Four months later, and Mike Walker was back in the dugout. That is one of the most special moments of my NCFC life, as he was my hero after growing up with the UEFA Cup run. Hope you and the EDP crew are all well and staying safe. So thanks for that, Matt. And this one's a little bit, uh, slightly different generation, just to finish with, from Peter Meads. We're going back to the 60s and 70s here. Not a guy that I've heard of. Uh, uh, I get a few emails. <laughs> City yeah. regularly played Charlton Athletic, who had a real character in goal called Charlie Wright. As a young lad, stood on the front of the river end, I can recall Charlie would leave his goal during breaks in play or when Charlton were attacking and have a quick chat with fans behind the goal <laughs> or have a bit of banter, as it would be called now. He also liked a cigarette and rumour is he would puff away on one during a match, although I never saw that myself. And th- th- this is the bit that I like. In, in those days, the River End fans almost always applauded the away goalkeeper when he ran towards their end. And good hearted banter was a real feature with Sunday Keeper of those days. I can also remember being allowed to run onto the pitch in the late 60s and early 70s when the players came out to have a look at the pitch well before kickoff and get some autographs. They didn't warm up on the pitch then and would just have a walk around for about an hour or so, about an hour or so before kickoff. Happy days. Stay safe and best wishes from Peter Meads. Um, I, I, well, that's certainly in my lifetime. I don't remember ever seeing happen. Fans being allowed on the pitch ahead of kickoff. No. Not legally. Not allowed. (laughs) But that sounds, uh, that sounds, uh, yeah, like a very different time, I suppose it was. Um, Right. The new poser then. Your favourite Norwich City manager and why? I'll be interested to see whether we just get loads of Daniel Farker answers here. Um, and as I say, we'll come at it from the media point of view. Paddy, who was uh, who was the best manager to deal with in your time covering the Canaries? Yeah, I think we'd have to ask. I'd have to asterisk it, not including Farker, because you probably would throw him in um, just because of his demeanour. You're talking in terms of media, then it's it's really on a human level. You know, separating out whether they're a great coach, whether they're tactically astute, whether they get their substitutions right, but on a human level, because we interact with them quite regularly. Uh, it is quite important that then, for me, the, the acid test is, and we haven't had it too much with Farker at the start, was rain maybe, but when things are going bad, it's very, it's very easy when things are going well um, and everything's good with uh, with their team for them to, you know, be quite open and quite accommodating. But the test is when things aren't. And if I'm honest, if I apply that measure, then for me, it was probably, um, I'd say, Chrissy Hewen. Now I know. But, on terms of his football bit, uh, that he produced or, or that he got his teams playing, you, you wouldn't put him anywhere near the top of a list of best Norwich managers. But, you know, there was some major whackings. I remember they got beat seven, I think, at Man City once, which is no probably disgrace given how good Man City are in this era. But um, and, and there would have been some managers who came before and maybe after him, you would have feared to ask him anything too probing or... or uh, essentially along the lines of, you've got that badly wrong, what an idiot you are, Christopher. But he 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 was always really good. And he would even say to you, he would say, look, I know basically we, we don't perform or or we get something badly wrong or whatever, then it's fair game. You know, you need to have a job to do and I expect you to do it sort of thing. So, but not every manager, sadly, or coach has, has and does adopt that mindset. You know, there's, there's still quite a few, I'm sure, in the game who, um, who wouldn't broker any type of criticism and would almost uh, think, Why, who are you to be asking me that type of question? So, And it is essential. You need to have a positive relationship because we're around these people, sadly not at the moment, but when, when the season is in its normal ebb and flow, you can be seeing these people numerous times in any given week, um, lots of touch points and press conferences and during the games and after the games. So you do need to have, on a personal level, a decent relationship. And um, there's been majority of the ones I've dealt with have been good you know I wouldn't put too many in the negative court I mean Chris could opine better uh, than I could but I always thought Glenn Roder was a very prickly individual I had to deal with um, in, in my limited dealings with him but and Lambert had his moments as well but um, yeah in terms of best manager to deal with got to be Chris Hewton because he is the nicest man in football he is a nice chap and made a bit of stuff from Grant Hole actually the other day saying despite people might think there's bad blood between them that you know top guy they never had bad words uh, Chris in, in terms of the best manager to deal with in your time covering the club well what Paddy just said about Chris Hewton um, I'd finished the job uh, um, 
um, at that time. But I did get to interview him once for a magazine. And you're right, lovely man. So I worked with Worthington, Grant, Rhoda, Brian Gunn and Paul Lambert. And also Martin Hunter, Jim Duffy and a bit of Ian Butterworth. Jim Duffy accused me of being, I think that's a Scottish TV programme with a character, the Reverend I.M. Glum. He accused me of being <laughs> glum. Because, <laughs> and this is the man in beige, right? He, he came in as a caretaker, a nice guy to be fair. And he lost his first two games. On the, on the eve of losing his third game, I must have asked him a question that upset him a bit and he accused me of being glum. But there you go. Martin Hunter, yeah, didn't know much about him. Uh, Lambert was up and down. Um, never found him over good. I mean, he was a very good manager. But, you know, he didn't. I, I remember sitting in the press room. A few of us were waiting for a press conference to start. And he had a quiet word in the ear of a fellow journalist. Um, and we could hear that quiet word from down the corridor. He was giving him an absolute rollicking. <laughs> um, I never got that from him, um, but then you didn't get much warmth from him. Uh, Gunny, yeah, he was all right until the 7-1. He took an exception to an art question after that, but he was a nice man. You know, nobody disputes that. Um, I'm going to skip Rhoda. Peter Grant talked for England or Scotland. Um, once <laughs> hauled me into his office and gave me a five-minute tongue lashing, absolutely rollickly. For a story he hadn't read and I hadn't written. Um, Nigel Worthington, top man. The best, I think. Really, really nice man. Kicked off our relationship by calling me in and laying down the law. But then was as straight as a diet. A gentleman. Um, smashing. Easily the best. Glenn wrote, did you say prickly? Yeah. yeah. It's a family. This is a family close. show. Huh? Close. The word's close. We had our run-ins. The one thing I was saying about him, when he spoke, you did listen. I think I think he had some fascinating views on football, but then he'd let himself down with comments that were unnecessary. Um, we had a, a bit of a... Uh, he actually apologised to me. as we, Norwich had played at Bristol City in the game where he and Lee Clark, I got, think, got sent off. Um after a late goal that Bristol City scored when it shouldn't have been. Um, and he apologised to me um, for being rude to me the two days beforehand. And that's the closest I got to any decent feeling for him. Um, yeah. you know, but that, that's, that was him. You know, it's just the way he is. But I, I, I like listening to him. I just didn't like dealing with him, if that makes any sense. So worthy. Worthy by, probably by a country mile. And that's no disrespect to Brian Gunn, but Brian Gunn came from an earlier era where I wasn't involved in and a lot of the journalists who he worked with when he became manager he knew he didn't know me so you know nice man but but worthy gets it for me top man yeah I I came in with Hugh and so then Neil Adams Alex Neil Alan Irvin and of course Daniel Farker but Chris you might remember this I did have a when I was on work experience, I did go to press conferences where Glenn Roder and Peter Grant were in charge. Peter and, Grant, I remember you coming then. Yeah, Peter Grant. Um, uh, so when you're on work experience, you're expected to just sort of uh, sit by and and, and what, observe, I suppose, would yeah. be the question. But being an uh, uh, enthusiastic type, I decided I wanted to uh, pipe up and ask a question at the end of the presser. <laughs> and Rossi Jarvis had just gone out on loan to Torquay or something like that, I think. Um, and I chirped up right at the end, waited, waited for all the proper journalists to get all the questions out of the way and asked him a question. And he was good as gold, wasn't he? And, and answered it for me. And um, and we got, a, got a, well, I got a little bit of a story out of it for us. So um, I remember you be, saying afterwards, I don't think I've ever seen anyone on work experience no. ask the Norwich manager a question before. No, so, I don't know um, that. <laughs> that. That was quite, um, that was quite a sort of proud moment. But for me, it's it's got to be Farker. I mean, the nice thing with him is that we've been able to spend a, a reasonable bit of time with him um, sort of when things are sort of pens down type things where, you know, we've been able to have a little bit of lunch with him and, and a chat to him or, um, you know, at pre-season games, you can have a chat with him off, you know, off mic once you've finished your interviews and things like that. And um, he's just such a friendly guy um, and always a pleasure to deal with. And um, I, I went to one of the um, 
fan social club events as well where he held a Q&A and I took my little brother to that and um, he very you know we queued up along with everyone else and he was so kind to my little brother who who is um, disabled and he uh, you know posed for photos and autographs he was there for ages signing autographs and stuff he's just um, like a lot of uh, the players are at the moment just just a really really genuine bloke so um, yeah got a lot of lot of time for Daniel and was was pleased that he um he had uh, that he got some success as well after after that those tough times and what I always liked about him is that we saw the same Daniel Farker in that first season as we saw in the second season he never really lost the plot too much he was a pretty constant presence throughout the bad times and the good times he stayed pretty much um, the same person so um, yeah lot lot of good things to say about Daniel but over to you guys. Um, who is your favourite Norwich City manager and why? I'm sure that this is one that will span generations. The uh, best way to let us know is probably on Twitter at Pinken, or you can drop me an email at david.freezer at We'll put out a couple of messages about this on social media so you can respond to them um, or send us a direct message if you'd rather. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant. Right, just to uh, finish with them, boys, um, a few bits and pieces that we've been up to. Paddy, you have been interviewing a senior Luxembourgian football type, haven't you? <laughs> Luxembourgish, as I learned. Luxembourgish. <laughs> right, um, yeah, no, it was good, yeah. Gentleman by the name of Luke Holt, so I think Gary Holt with a Z on the end, and uh, he is and has been since 2010 Luxembourg's head coach. So the, the random thing about that, it's like it's obviously uh, not in terms of their football and stature, but it's essentially getting to sit down with Gareth Southgate. But I basically found this guy on LinkedIn. <laughs> I didn't have, did have to go through about 700 different media types to then be vetted and uh, what do I want to ask him about and told what I could ask about it was literally just random message he replied instantly good as gold um, and yeah and it was just just nice because obviously there's been a lot talked written about her about young Sinani um, and now it's confirmed on a pre-contract uh, hopefully coming in July the 1st but just to get a, a level of insight from a guy who as, as he went on to tell us has worked with him since under 15s at national level um, so I think it's like, you know, I think there's, if you read the pieces we did and they're, they're, they're on the pink and uh, if you've not already seen them, go and have a look. You just get a bit more of a sense about what type of player he is and, um, you know, a little bit of his background. I mean, the thing that straight away stuck out for me that Luke Holtz threw him in against France for his national debut in, in France uh, against the team who 10 months later were being crowned world champions. So... That tells me everything about the guy's temperament. That he felt he could handle that sort of stage with the Mbappes and uh, you know Pombas and uh, literally some of the best players in the world. Um, and and yeah, he's both both confident he will he will, he will be able to step up because that's the imponderable about. Okay, he looks like he's too good for Luxembourg club football, but can he step into Premier League, possibly the Championship? But also, just word of warning that he is still a young man and it's his first big move in his career and, and he will need time to adjust. As we saw, you know, with Marco Stiefman, Mario Vrancic, you wouldn't say their first season in England, they set, set anything alight, but both of them at various stages of their career have proven to be astute purchases. And I think this guy, we all hope, I think if you're a Norwich fan, would fall into that category. It's an exciting one because, you know, he looks like he's got the potential uh, to, to be something a bit different in the final third that they don't really have or not enough of. Um, and they do need a bit more variety, I think, moving forward when we do get back to playing because, you know, we've, we've seen the reliance on Pookie this season and when, when he's not either fully fit or, or maybe not at the top of his game, they look a little bit threadbare. So, you know, I is in the mix there. You had this lad. Um, it's exciting, yeah. So so that was good. And, and then in the last day or two, uh, other end of the, the scale, we spoke to Luke Chadwick as well. And, and had a great chat with him. I mean, he's he's from an era, we're talking about Rhoda there and Peter Grant, he's from an era that won't be very fondly remembered in, in Norwich history, certainly in recent times, because it, it just preceded the Paul Lambert coming in and then it was lift-off. But, you know, he's got a great backstory to tell. You know, anybody who isn't aware, he scored 30 minutes into his debut at Ipswich in a derby game and 
but then he had this really bad injury towards the end of the game. Freakish kind of collided with um, one of them pitch side microphones, massively gashed his leg, dislocated his shoulder. Um, and really that set the tone for his Norwich career. Then he was out for four months with that, came back, played a few games, was out for another four months with the shoulder. And, and he never really got going. And it was a shame. And he was very honest, honest and open and, and, and not, not, not seen him talk about his Norwich career in those terms because most people, when you mention Luke Chadwick of a football persuasion, would naturally associate him with Man United and coming through there. And that's Sir Alex Ferguson era with Beckham and, and, and Ronaldo. But yeah, nice considered piece. And uh, just a shame for him that unfortunately the injuries got in the way because I think he could have offered something in that era because Norwich, as Lakers would know, having covered them in that spell, they didn't have a lot of creativity. So, so yeah, in the last week, we've had a couple of nice chats and, um, and we're just endeavouring to keep it ticking over. So, pinkin.com, anybody who hasn't seen any of those bits and pieces? I was at Portman Road that day in in the home end. Um, I, I think I've probably told this story before. The first ever published thing, uh, published piece I had in the Pinkham was a behind enemy lines piece because I lived with an Ipswich fan at uni and he managed to get me a, a ticket in in the North stand with him. So I had to obviously um, not wear any colours or anything like that. I had to play along as an Ipswich fan essentially for the day. And when they took the lead early doors, it yeah. was looking good. And I, I had to sort of zip my coat up above my mouth to, uh, to keep quiet. But then when they were winning three, one and he was hugging me and chucking me around, like I was an Ipswich fan on purpose to wind me up. Um, <laughs> it, it wasn't quite so enjoyable. Um, so that was uh, that was quite the experience. But uh, yeah, a few other things. Um, the Grant Hall Q&A, I mentioned that earlier, and that's really good, interesting stuff. Uh, he mentions in there that he, he would like to be an Norwich City manager one day and that he wouldn't um, wouldn't manage it, which wouldn't do a Paul Lambert. Um, so that's well worth seeking out and um, some stuff which is going to be out there as of tomorrow. Uh, Josh and Jacob Murphy have done a, a bit of interesting talking about uh, life as uh, as twins in football and how. Maybe it sort of held them back a little bit when they went went into first team football. And Josh talking about how hard he found the season after Jacob had left Norwich for Newcastle, and he actually had to uh, seek out help from a psychologist to help him sort of steer through that difficult time. And uh, you mentioned Adam Eder as well. We've had some stuff from um, Stephen Kenny, haven't we? Who's the now Island manager stepping up from the under twenty one, and sounds like Adam's got a very real chance of being involved in in a senior squad eventually when <laughs> whenever football returns. But um, as Pat says, pinkin.com is the place to be. There's still plenty of stuff going on and we're uh, we're still keeping pretty busy. So hopefully we'll, we'll provide you with a little bit of entertainment. Um, thank you, chaps, uh, for joining me. Thank you very much for listening. As I said at the top of the show, you can also hear us on Future Radio 107.8 FM on a Wednesday night. And if you don't already subscribe to the show, then please do. And any ratings or reviews are very much appreciated. Thank you for listening and we will catch up with you very soon.